0: welcome to disney animation minute essentials where we are crashing through disney's the little mermaid one minute at a time i'm Kestra dorowski
1: i am andrew dorowski
0: and today for the last time of this film we are joined by Josh and Gavin from the Animation Station podcast.
1: I'm Josh. I'm Gavin. Hello again. Welcome back. You said to be doing this for the last time this movie. I'm excited to get into it
2: again and I'm sad that it's the last one. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch The <laughs> yeah. Little Mermaid again. <laughs>
0: be- before we forget, we should ask the question. Oh, I
2: always I always <laughs> forget. Uh
1: what is like the background that you guys have personally with The Little Mermaid from seeing it when you
2: were younger to you know, any specific memories? Um, I had all, like, growing up, I had all of the Disney VHSs. Mm-hmm. So, I had this available. Because, I mean, it, was, it came out the year after I was born. So, I did not get to see it in theater, unlike Gavin, who mm-hmm. I think was in college <laughs> when the movie <laughs> came out. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't get to see it. So, I mean, my first experience would have been with uh, with the VHS copy. Yeah, this it's is this
3: is uh, this is right in that time of my life where I was really getting into going to see movies at the theater, and I was so excited about Disney movies in particular. Uh, I was eleven when this came out. You know, I had clear memories of seeing The Great Mouse Detective and The Black Cauldron in theaters, and then Little Mermaid comes out. You know, and then that great string of movies that follows in the nineties. Uh, so for me, honestly, in a lot of ways, Little Mermaid kind of got overshadowed by a lot of those things that followed, you know, I fell head over heels in love with Aladdin and Lion King after that. And, uh, it really wasn't until I became an adult that I went back and really looked at the Little Mermaid again and, you know, found... How much greatness there is in the soundtrack and and a lot of the character animation and you know I've I've grown to love it but as a kid it didn't really strike me it wasn't it wasn't ever my favorite
1: I think that's pretty fair especially being the first one in a long string mm-hmm. of very good but also it, it had a little bit of a gap because you had Little Mermaid then Rescuers Down Under and not throwing shade at Rescuers Down Under it's just part of a previous era of Disney's yeah, work I agree with that yeah. And so it's, that's, like, the transition happens somewhere in there, and then you have these two that are kind of on opposite sides of the line. But you can tell that Little Mermaid's much closer to being part of the Aladdin, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King grouping than it is to the rescuers, rescuers down under, Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company grouping. Right, exactly. I I agree with that. Um. So... When we, when we break down our, our units for how we bounce around, um, we, we allow things like that to kind of cross over. Mm -hmm. And so like we would count, um, we would count for the Renaissance cycle, Little Mermaid, and then Beauty and the Beast would be the next one. And we'd say that Rescuers Down Under would be part of the previous, um... era of Disney animation for us. Yeah. And that makes sense. That's kind of
3: the nature of the beast. Cause these films are produced over so many years, you know, it takes a long time to make an animated film. So, you know, it's not like one comes out in the theaters and then they begin working on the next one. So yeah, there's definitely going to be bleed and crossover of those, you know, eras that butt up against each other. So that makes perfect sense. I never really thought of it that way, but that's a great way to break that down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, Today we are discussing minute fifty-five of the Little Mermaid, which begins with Chef Louis saying, "What is this?" And it ends with Grimsby saying, "And I'm sorry, Andrew. This line does kick cut, oh, cut off man. across
1: <laughs> a weekend."
0: <laughs> uh, he Grimsby says, "Perhaps our young guest might enjoy seeing
3: seeing what <laughs> dot dot dot."
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, minute fifty five of the Little Mermaid features Chef Louis discovering that Sebastian isn't dead like he had previously thought. Mm-hmm. Chef Louis chasing Sebastian around the kitchen and destroying the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Carlotta basically scolding Chef Louis for
1: Very briefly.
0: Yes. For for making a mess and making loud noises and, and mm-hmm. everything. And Carlotta bringing the food out from the kitchen to the dining hall.
1: All right. So Le Poisson is over Mm -hmm. at this point and we jump into a new comedic music and action sequence with the animation. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes.
3: And this to me is where it hits a new level. And, you know, the chaos and, you know, the slapstick comedy that comes in here is just amazing, I think. I I always love... Funny animation. I I love the humor of you know just silly things that you can pull off in cartoons. Like you know, there's that moment where he's leaping at Sebastian and he he slices his entire like workstation in half with his cleaver. Yeah, and uh, you know just all the things of him flinging things around the kitchen and just after this tiny little crab, you know, and just destroying his workplace over it. I I don't know. I. I I get a kick out of it, and, you know, the chaos that they animate in this scene is is really impressive to me.
0: And then at the end, when, right before Carlotta comes in, my goodness, like, he's...
1: It is it's destroyed. It's yeah.
0: destroyed, and he says, come out, you little pip squeak and fight like a man. Yes. Like, he's a Sabath- like, he's a crab. <laughs> he's,
1: just, he's just Sebastian the crab.
0: He's just... Oh, yeah, he's goodness. so
3: fired up, and that, that, to me, that moment right there, and, and his arms just... Flailing, He's like, fight like a man. That animation right there is so good. And it, it's got such a Looney Tunes expressive quality to it. You know, it kind of reminds me of some of the things they would later animate with the genie. Um, but I love just his body, how it tenses up and then he throws his arms around and, and pulls like he's punching. And uh, I just feel like the animators that that worked on him like that was kind of like the icing on their cake right there at the end that little sequence where he does that Uh, it's just so good it's such a great capper to that whole uh, scene of chaos i think
1: yeah they do a lot throughout this sequence that they i'd say don't don't do anywhere else in little mermaid and also don't typically do in a lot of um Disney animated movies Mm -hmm. like this comedic sequence is very intense and I'd I'd say probably more influenced by things like Tom and Jerry than Mm -hmm. it is by most Disney stuff totally agree Um, Disney doesn't have this kind of chase sequence built into any of their catalog as as much as I can think of Mm -hmm. like Mickey doesn't have a significantly larger opponent I mean Pete's big but not that big um, that he's (laughs) you know running from in in any of their shorts so it's it's closer to Tom and Jerry or like a Sylvester and Tweety Bird kind of thing. Yeah. And I wonder if the animators were thinking about that when they worked on this one. I don't know. Uh but it certainly has some of that effect. One of my favorite things that they added in uh in addition to the the musical change, the sound effects when Sebastian is s- like scurrying yes. around the floor. They make driving noises. Yeah, I was going to mention like, that. Like wheels peeling out. Yes. <laughs> and that And it's like it sounds some it sounds so crazy, but it's like pretty low and Mm -hmm. and kind of quiet so you just when you're watching it you certainly won't think it's like why'd they put a race car sound in there
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you mentioned but it's so great yeah it is and and when you mentioned tom and jerry like that's the first thing i thought of i was like oh mention the the car sounds when he's scurrying away that's perfect I, i and i think they're clearly you know pulling inspiration from those things and really it's it's almost an homage to those types of shows exactly which you know Tom and Jerry had some fantastic animation in it it's i think it's an underrated show artistically speaking but you know i think they do it well in this and they even just ramp it up a notch because there are so many animated objects in this kitchen in this scene Uh, you know a lot of times we see elaborate backgrounds with lots of objects but in in this scene they had to draw so many objects flying through the air and being tossed aside and ricocheting and bouncing off of things and you know just adding those types of sound effects just kind of kicks it up another notch and i i just think there's so much kinetic energy in this scene i love it
1: he grabs like Seven or eight knives from that knife block and throws them. Yeah. Ooh, well,
3: do we have a fir- Do we have a new cleaver count at this point?
1: Uh, by the end of this minute, uh, I counted as many as ten. I think uh, the one that I listed as number five is the same as his pocket cleaver uh, from, <laughs> from from like the first one he pulled out. Mm-hmm. And two of the cleavers that I counted may have been axes. Oh, okay. But, um, but- at least two of them definitely look like axes and then there's like there's one that's stuck in the cheese when he's like digging under the cabinet and for it Sebastian and almost falls
0: on him yeah
1: and that one almost falls on him so I get like maybe that one's a cheese knife and not a cleaver but so Carlotta like yells at him and he bounces his head against the cabinet <laughs> and it bounces that cleaver up and it spins over his head and then he sits up straight and it lands on the floor oh yeah. <laughs> Nice,
0: but there are also so many knives which we did not count. We only yeah. The there's cleaveries. a bunch of
1: other knives, including at least a few bread knives.
0: But when he when he grabs the knives from the the uh, knife knife block, block uh, he, there there are eight handles, and then when he's holding them, there are seven blades. Uh. But
1: when he throws them, we definitely see like the like the meat fork mm-hmm. again, yes. and I think that might have been one that we just didn't see amongst the blades.
0: Yeah, it's possible. So
1: here's a question. Does
3: he have something against spoons and ladles? Because I don't think we see anything but cutlery.
1: <laughs> um, it's all
2: cutlery. I mean, the
1: the closest he gets to like a fork is even just that meat fork. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, he does everything yeah, with he, a knife. He, he just likes has slices a style. it off the knife. Yeah. I
0: also noticed I also noticed that there was a sword at the top, like where, where he's underneath the 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 cabinet the cabinet and the cheese knife. I did on, not on notice on a on. sword. There's a sword, like up up high. It's it's really up high. Like an
1: animated sword that's been thrown, or is it like a background sword that's just part of the? It's it's stabbed in. Yeah. Oh goodness. Oh. I've not noticed the sword. Nice. He went all out. He wants that crab, man.
0: Whatever happens. What's going
1: to happen
3: to the crab though? If seven knives hit it, I mean, your your crab's spent at that point. You can't cook with it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he I'm wasn't sure you can. on
1: being able to hit it with seven knives. It's it's just a shotgun effect,
3: uh, maybe. Yeah.
1: It, I
2: guess I guess at this point it's a masculinity thing. Like he can't let the crab. Yeah, beat him. he has to kill the crab right. now. Okay. <laughs> Whatever happened to his shoe? Like, I want to know what could possibly have happened. Him running around throwing knives that his shoe also, comes off. Oh, he's shoeless at he, the end. Yeah. Really? Got I, I have noticed shoe. that. His, his, <laughs> his bow tie his, his is, bow tie no is no longer... undone.
1: And he's got a tear in at least the elbow of one sleeve.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He He's a wreck. And then his mustache is there's a flame on fire. Yeah, on his,
1: his mustache <laughs> lit on fire. <laughs>
0: it's, it's crazy. <laughs> um,
1: Yeah, it's it is a fantastic sequence. And all, all to the tune of the can-can. Mm-hmm. Yes, so yep.
0: the can-can, which is very popular. Um,
1: if you haven't heard of the Can Can, we can't help you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the Can Can, it's, its actual name is The Infernal Gallop from or- Orpheus in the Underworld mm-hmm. um, by Offenbach. Uh, and uh, the Can Can, they have... Which is,
1: this is, a, the Orpheus in the Underworld is a French opera? Yes. Okay, um, so it, they're going with the French sounds,
0: yes, and mm-hmm. it was performed in the fir- for the first time in um for the first time it was performed in Paris in eighteen fifty eight
1: okay, so this might have to be after eighteen fifty eight
0: maybe uh but the the can the can can it becomes the can can uh because of the 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 dance.
1: The right. It's it, obviously it was called the infernal gallop. So it's not the can can. Right. Yes. Orpheus, but this Underworld. is, this
0: is tip. This is the typical song
1: used for the can, used dance. for the can, can
0: dance. Yes. Okay. And, uh, they had storyboarded it and they were like making the soundtracks and everything. And the storyboard was by, uh, I wrote it again. Gary Tr- Trasdale, just oh, cool. props to him yeah, for this, for this scene. And, uh, the can can they were using for this scene, and they wanted to. So
1: they were just using it as filler music for this. Yes. Were uh, they going to have?
0: Alan wanted something else. That did he
1: want to compose it or?
0: Yeah, it it was basically uh, an underscore version of what they use uh, of Les Poissons and what they use for the in in the Broadway musical Les Poissons the the reprise. Okay. Um, it's basically, he he kind of hummed it in the audio commentary, uh, but he, he wanted to use that. He did not want to use the can-can. So he,
1: he, they had just used the can-can as the filler music, and the plan was for Alan to compose a, a piece of music for this.
0: At least that's what Alan wanted. But, oh, okay. But the, then this worked better, and Alan finally,
1: like... He gave in. He gave in. all right, fine. You can use the can-can. Yeah, at
3: this point, I don't think Alan and Howard were, um, you know, fully established at Disney. You know, if Alan Menken says anything today, then that's how it's going to be. But in 1989, or when this was being worked on, probably in 87 or so on the music, you know, he didn't have that sort of reputational cachet to, you know, say, okay, well... No, we're not gonna do the can can. I'm gonna compose something, blah blah blah. I can imagine Jeffrey Katzenberg coming in
1: and saying, Nope, can can and then that was the end of discussion. Well, and and for that matter, um, you know, now Alan has almost thirty years more experience. Right. And I bet he could he could compose, you know, something to replace the can can in this much more easily than he could have thirty years ago. Sure. Like thirty years of experience doing what he's been doing is mm-hmm. a phenomenal amount. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that they used the can-can in this. I think the music really works very well, like it, in part because it's such animated music. Mhm. And I like it I
3: think it also again harkens back to Looney Tunes and merry melodies because they would use famous songs like that to animate similar scenes like this. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's just another way that this is a type of homage to, you know, warner brothers and those animation studios that were doing stuff like that so i agree i think
1: the can-can is the perfect song choice right there and i think also especially for a sequence in the little mermaid because the can-can relies so heavily on um horns and not on violins to carry the melody Mm -hmm. throughout the little mermaid a lot of the score is avoiding using violins uh, to carry melody. It's mostly things like horns and um, woodwinds, mm-hmm. which is a little unusual. So, using a song like this still feels very in place um, amongst the music of The Little Mermaid.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with that.
1: Kester's still checking through notes. Okay. No, nothing else
3: oh, cool. to mention. Okay. okay. Josh we're, we're is uh, dancing the Can Can.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I, I think I'm out. Yeah.
0: I just, I, the last thing I have to say is right before he crashes into,
1: into that, um, into that wall of China.
0: That China is absolutely beautiful. (laughs) One
1: of them looks like a glass, uh, pitcher that's got like gems laid into it.
0: Yeah. And it's beautiful. And then he destroys it. Mm -hmm. He's gone crazy. Chef yeah. Louis needs needs help.
1: He is a,
3: a passionate culinary artist, and he has lost all sense of reason
1: at this point.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: I love when Carlotta. They so they hear all this crashing out in the dining room, uh-huh. and Carlotta, like understatedly, says, "I'm just going to go check."
0: <laughs> her accent changed.
1: Oh and... yeah, she's so. Carlotta has definitely an American accent mm-hmm. in all of her lines, and sometimes it seems almost. Like like northern Midwest, like Wisconsin. Mm-hmm.
0: And other times, it just seems like the,
1: the, like standard Midwestern, I guess. Yeah,
0: but it like her when she's like, "I'm gonna go see what Louie's up to." Her accent is
1: it's it's thicker. It's it, thicker. It, it, it almost <laughs> like she almost like she should finish it with a "Don't you know?" Don't you
3: know. <laughs>
0: know?
1: Yeah, I feel um, like that's kind
3: of that actress. She kind of sounds that way in in pretty much everything i feel like she's a voice actress who never puts on a voice but she just has a voice with so much character that she you know gets cast as a lot of things so i I feel like that's just you know that's how she talks but yeah that line is it's kind of
1: pronounced yeah and uh, like not that it's out of place or anything like it's a great performance like Mm -hmm. her her voice is perfect for this character Mm -hmm. um where she's You know, she is caring and a little bit maternal, but also has this sternness Mm -hmm. when she, like, steps into the kitchen and yells at Louie. It's like, I think as a kid, I think I always interpreted it as though they were married. Me too. Interesting. And I do not know as an adult whether or not they are.
3: I interpreted it as basically she was the head of house as far as the servants go. Like, she ruled the roost. So whether or not that meant she was wife, I I don't think I necessarily made that leap. But it was clear that even in his kitchen, she was in charge.
1: Yes, she has a certain degree of authority over. Right, because he
3: instantly like had that guilty look on his face with his flaming mustache. <laughs> he's like, Oops. and
0: he's like trying to explain, but he he can't because nothing will make has, sense. Yeah. Do you think he's
1: gotten into <laughs> trouble like this before? Yes, yes, I think there's a history. How many of this. how many live crabs have there been?
0: <laughs> I don't know about crabs, but he's definitely had trouble. Had trouble.
1: Yes, yes. he's
3: had fits before,
1: and. I'm I'm always surprised at like how little she actually yells at him because she just like, because like it is a crazy mess in that kitchen. Like it is ridiculous. <laughs> and she just like yells his name and then he's trying to explain himself and he's just like, sorry, man. I'm sorry. And then she just like grabs the food and bustles off and like, and like, it, like you can see in the animation of her posture as she's like bustling off. She's like, oh, I think he's going to hear about this later, yes. but she is more focused on serving the people yes. in the dining room. Yeah, she's it was a pro. Surprise! She, she, yeah, she is an amazing pro. Where she's just like, uh and then she just like grabs it and doesn't even say that we'll talk about this later. Right? I think he just knows that <laughs> this is going to come back to him later. Exactly.
3: And she knows that the number one job right now is getting dinner served, especially when there's a guest. So I like mm-hmm. that. I think it's like you said, it's assumed that he's going to get a talking to later.
0: Yeah, I, I think. Well, when I was younger, I definitely thought that they were a couple. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm not entirely sure, mm-hmm. but I, I think that most definitely he's been scolded by her before, and he's destroyed the kitchen before, yeah because she's she's just like, Louie and then
1: like it, it, but yeah, like you said, she is such a pro that like when she leaves the the dining room, she just says that she's going to go check on him, and it's very. Like she knows that it's going to be trouble, but yeah. she's not revealing to them that she's about to be really frustrated with the chef. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then she like turns it on when he when she's there in the kitchen and she's angry at him, and then she turns it back off by the time she gets back to the yeah to the dining room. Yep.
3: Yeah.
1: She's she's great. You know, nice work, Carlotta.
3: We mentioned her accent a minute ago, and and I wanted to bring up one point. You know, at a certain point, we we've kind of established this week that this is possibly, or maybe even likely in France. And we have another Disney movie that follows on its heels shortly hereafter in Beauty and the Beast, which is clearly in France. And yet in each of these movies, we only have one character with a French accent. Why do they do that? Why doesn't everybody in this movie speak with a French accent or in Beauty and the Beast with a French accent? I don't understand why we're so hesitant to have dialect in cartoons. I I don't get that. Do you guys have... What do you guys feel about that? I
1: I don't especially have a theory um in Snow White there were no accents at all basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and that one was set in Germany. Mm-hmm. I, for Beauty and the Beast I could I could take it as an implication that Chef Louis is an import, like he is
0: In Beauty and the Beast?
1: Or, sorry, in in Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh I could take it as an indication that Chef Louis is supposed to be Imported from France to cook French cuisine right. uh, in in this environment because uh, he's the only one with a significantly different accent. Everyone else has basic standard American. Grimsby's maybe a little bit stuffy and British, but that's
2: that's but then only there's a also little. Sebastian.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then Sebastian has like this uh, legitimate Caribbean, right, uh, Trinidad accent. Mm-hmm. Um, which they were planning on Jamaican, and then they and then he he was okay with Samuel Trinidad. Right
0: was <laughs> Trinidad.
1: Um, which I don't know that I'd be able to spot the difference, Mm-mm. right? Um, and so, I think I don't know what the what the reasoning is um, why they don't you know lean into it more they don't go for kind of the the whole like hunt for red october Mm -hmm. if they're just using an accent it means they're speaking that language right
2: yeah kind of thing this is weird um, weird to me well that happened a lot in the especially in the early 90s like especially when a lot of anime was coming over Mm -hmm. they regionalized the crap out of it because they didn't feel like the american audiences could understand what was going on like there's the famous one in pokemon where they change a rice ball to a jelly donut (laughs) <laughs> because they're like yeah. oh, people won't know what a rice ball is. Right. I mean, they did that with Sailor Moon. They changed names even just because they're semi different. Right. Uh, and it's one of those like censor things back then where were mm-hmm. definitely different. So, I mean, you can kind I can kind of see why they would. Yeah. But it's also one of those like just don't just go haul hog mm-hmm. which thank goodness that we don't do that now. We've yeah. we've gotten over the majority of that. Yeah. Um,
1: it's, I, I don't know. I know in, um, even in Pocahontas at one point, they were really planning some different things for Pocahontas, including the idea that all of the, um, native American characters would only be speaking native languages. Oh, like they, they wouldn't just default English for scenes with the native Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, and and then they would actually go through like a learning process for for learning to communicate with uh, Pocahontas and John Smith and things like that. And but then they didn't. So even in '94, you know, they're not getting up to that point. So
0: Pocahontas was in '94.
1: '93. Sorry, I always get Pocahontas wrong. They could have recorded. Me. They may have recorded the voices in '94.
0: Pocahontas was
1: '95. '95. Oh man. Yeah, they could have recorded the voices in 94. Uh, <laughs> I know.
0: I'm just he he always get, says that Pocahontas is 94, wrong. but Lion King is 94. Yeah,
1: they were made concurrently, and, so it can yeah. be conf- confusing. But um yeah, so I know that it was a topic that was on some people's minds, but I don't think it was as prevalent in people's minds then as it is now. Mhm. Yeah, I don't
0: know.
1: But I don't have a great answer for for why he's the only one that presents uh, even a European accent. Right. Um, you know, everyone else is basically American or, um, American adjacent. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, a Caribbean accent is still an American environment accent more than it is a European accent. So agreed. He, he is the only one that really shows that. And at least in beauty and the beast, they, they get a little bit more. They have, you know, French and definitely British. Mm hmm. (laughs) In some cases, but it's... I don't know if I can say that it's a a big issue or if it's just something that they're not paying attention to because it's produced in America.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I I guess it's a little more... It sticks out a little more for me in Beauty and the Beast because if we're we're clearly singing songs that place it in France and we're using French words in a lot of the songs, and so you're making a point of saying this is a French story... And that one it sticks out a little bit more. You know, this one, where exactly we are geographically is nebulous. We don't, we can't definitively say. But you know, for me, it, it's more of a point about Beauty and the Beast. But still, I don't know. I, I guess I would prefer there to be a little more consistency. You know, uh, I have always known that actors, you know, study dialects for roles, and you know, have to learn certain things to play different parts in plays and in movies and it just never seems to translate to animation consistently and I just find that interesting
1: I think yeah. you're you're definitely right and maybe as we do more of these films we'll get a better sense of it mm-hmm. yeah is it are, are you guys all covered I think
3: so I, I think like the only that. other point I would make is just you know this This uh, is kind of the last moment where we have this juxtaposition between the chaos in the kitchen and the the kind of tranquility of this beautiful dining room at sunset. Um, And I like the way that this whole portion of the movie plays out, which is kind of juxtaposing those two different environments, Um, you know, and it ends on just kind of this sweet little moment where the food is brought out and Sebastian Makes it to Ariel finally, and you know I guess that's in the next <laughs> scene. But you know I I just like how it kind of it, it kind of wraps up real nicely with that juxtaposition. So
1: I, I didn't think that's about it for me. Josh, anything from you before we close out? It's your last chance to say anything about Little Mermaid ever again. <laughs> oh
2: man, my last chance. <laughs> um, no, yeah, let's. We'll we'll save that. It's. It may not be work appropriate. So well, (laughs) you can always go check out. We
1: can, we can always send people to check out your episode on the little mermaid in the animation station podcast feed. That
3: was episode 58.
1: Really? All right, listeners, that's all we have for you today. We are part of dueling genre. You can find us and many other podcasts at duelinggenre.com. There. You will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all dueling genre productions We are on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener
2: Society or Damsels Group. Our guests can be found. You can find the Animation Station Podcast on Instagram at Animation Station Podcast.
3: On Twitter at Animate Podcast.
2: You can find all of our episodes on Instagram. I did that already. My bad. <laughs> you can still find us on Instagram at Animation Station Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at Animation Station Podcast. You can find us on our on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find us on our website, animationstationpodcast.com. Cheese. <laughs> all right. We want to thank uh,
1: MoviesByMinutes dot com. It's kind of the catalog of all, or most, or some of the movies by minutes. <laughs> uh podcasts that are in production or wrapped up they try to keep that relatively updated but it gets behind because there's more being released all the time yes (laughs) until next time listeners thank you for making us part of your world